I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row. Hurrah, hurrah. Yes, we're back. We're back. We are recording in the past, but in the future, (laughs) Hannah will be here. I will be. The Cemetery Row gals will be together for the first time, all three of us. In how long? Since Sawyer was a baby. Before before Bonnie was born. Oh, definitely. Sawyer was just a baby. Yeah, yes. Sawyer was a baby. Yeah, so it's. Been, I think it's what, when we years? did either we either did AFI or Night Vale. Night Vale because it would have been Night Vale. A our first AFI, our only AFI Memphis experience was, was when we were fresh out of college. So it must have been Night Vale. Yeah, yeah, I think it had to have been sounds, Night Vale. That sounds right because I remember uh, I started listening to it yeah. after after that trip. I think. But yeah, so welcome to this episode. Um, the theme this week is Michigan, and I won't lie. I thought Michi- Michigan was going to be boring and a disappointment, but buddy, did they show me. I um, watch enough <laughs> Investigation Discovery to know Michigan is bananas. Like, I'm just kind of terrified of Detroit now. <laughs> like, <laughs> as you should yeah, be. It's fair. It's totally and, fair. And I mean, and I'm, you know, living right outside of Memphis. So that's saying something. I got to um, give a shout out to my Michiganders, uh, Sandra and Michelle, who are both in Lansing. Hi. Woo-hoo. And the minor league baseball team for Lansing is the Lansing Lugnuts. <laughs> that's oh, adorable. I love um, but if you are going to be in Memphis anytime soon, quick. Sameless self-promotion product placement Pete over here. Um, my <laughs> next, Pete. that's a Smallville <laughs> reference. Okay. Going, going back to Smallville days. What up if you watch Smallville? Um, I need to do a rewatch. Anyway, um, on Saturday, June 17th, I am giving my uh, the Plot Thickens tour at Elmwood Cemetery in Memphis. That tour is all about writers, journalists, broadcasters, poets. It is really interesting. Um, I don't just have like, you know, oh, this person wrote for the newspaper or that person wrote a book. It's like, yeah, that person wrote a book about ghosts. And, <laughs> you know, as I said last week, married live people with dead people. And then, you know, she wasn't just a reporter. She was broadcasting live from a fighter jet and, you know, that guy wrote a poem that was quoted in Watergate, you know, like just random stuff. Right. Um, but it's all interesting. So please join me for that. I think you'll have fun. And then, of course, if you want to take a ghost tour of downtown Memphis, you will want to do that with me and Backbeat Tours. If you look up Backbeat Tours in Memphis, I am usually your Monday night tour guide. Uh, the weekend of Juneteenth, which is that same weekend of the 17th, I'm your guide. I think that's Sunday and Monday um, night, Father's Day, yeah, and then on Juneteenth. So join me for a tour on either of those nights. We'll have fun, I promise. Um, Yes, I'm still super sad because if you missed last week's episode, I was, I had to bum out everybody and be like, well, y'all, my mama died. No, I'm still sad, but, you know, I can, I can fake laugh for two or three hours and we'll have fun. Um, and uh, this will so, be yeah. good. It'll be, you know, yeah, immersing yourself and stuff. So it is. And I had a, I've had like two ghost tours since kind of getting back to the swing of things. One, I don't think I did my best, but it was my first tour back. But the second one, it was just me and this um, grandma and her 17 year old grandson. I love was that. Super into ghost, into ghosts and ghost stories. And they were so much fun. So, and and we had I had fun with them. It's just the three of us, and we had a blast. So I love that. Trust me, I'm not going to be a bummer. Come hang out with me. Anyway, um, I don't know what else we have to say this week. Um, that's pretty much. I, I think, think that's it. We've had boring oh, weeks. <laughs> I I just want to share because again, I'm so excited about uh Hannah coming to visit this weekend. So, yes. yes, Friday night we are going to see Jaws, which as as many of you know, is one of my favorite movies. I've yep. talked about it extensively on this yes. podcast. 
uh at elmwood cemetery yes and yes again super excited i got a new chair i got all the bug spray <laughs> a neck fan it's gonna be a blast i'm gonna have to borrow your guys's bug spray <laughs> we'll yes. we'll we'll post pictures yeah of our, of our adventures because yes. we got a couple of things in the works that i think are gonna be fun so we do yes. i'm very excited Me can't wait too. to hang out gird with your loins memphis <laughs> yes as if Memphis doesn't keep its loins girded. <laughs> and if they Touché. don't, they should. Right. <laughs> like, how, where have you guys been? Yeah. I mean, riding in the right lane of Poplar, that will be. <laughs> you better have your loins girded for that right? and that alone. Yes. Um, anyway, um, Hannah, I think you were supposed to kick us off with a uh, terrifying story out of the great state of Michigan. What is that like the lake state or something? I don't know even what it um, is. Hang on. We're going to look like Michigan nickname because all of my yeah. Michigander friends are screaming at me. I know like Mississippi is what I, I don't In even Magnolia, Magnolia state. state. Tennessee is volunteer state. Volunteer, right? yeah. The Wolverine state. What? Okay. That's interesting. Yes. But um, not it is also Hugh Jackman. It is no, no. The the little animal. It is also sometimes called the Great Lakes State. Okay, well, I she still close. I still can't even picture the little animal, so I'm just gonna go with Wolverine, like Hugh Jackman. <laughs> Hugh Jackman kind of like claws. a badger. Yeah, I'll show you one later. Don't you worry about. Okay. It. <laughs> okay. Well, so to to give you an idea of what this story is going to be. Um, one of the articles that I used has the main title, Sex, Drugs, and Teenage Cannibalism. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> so, get fucking ready. This is classic, <laughs> Hannah. Absolutely. I'm here for it. So, expect nothing less. Absolutely. And if you are a fan of forensic files, as I am telling you the story, light bulbs and bells will ring in your head. Because that's where I knew the story from. Picture it. 1993. 18-year-old Rose Larner took off for the night with Billy Brown, a close friend of hers since grade school, and John Ortiz Kehoe, an on-again, off-again boyfriend. Hint, if they're off again, leave them off. Yeah. Just leave them There's off. There's usually yeah. a good reason. Yep. Yes. Um, so Rose had had her share of, you know trouble um she didn't have an easy road but she had been trying to get her shit together as most of us when we hit 18 we're like all right well i guess i gotta start being an adult yeah but nevertheless they went to um on again off again boyfriend john's grandparents house and once there they um had a threesome and did some drugs oh as you do as one does grandparents houses are not a place to i mean ride no. the disco stick <laughs> i was gonna say boink i like yours right <laughs> I, I was trying to think of some other euphemism and i was like i don't know it the only not thing coming to, to me just, was gaga yeah not to mention it's too i, uh, I just I ain't, I ain't doing nothing at no grandparents house i'm sorry right. a threesome at the grandparents house oh it's like a Can't bad out. panic at the disco song yeah um <laughs> so at the end they uh they they did as you do when you've been getting funky they took a shower no yeah, well, at least they did like, that much together which is weird um personal mom do not listen to this part never understood the point of showering with another person it seems very i don't know not into it Hard well, it's, it's you know it's it's okay i guess but most people when they're showering together it's supposed to be sexy times and i don't know about you but that that's not a comfortable place to try to no, have sexy the, times. It's, the shower is where I like disassociate for half an hour. Yeah, no, <laughs> call me crazy, no. and maybe I'm saying things on a prog on a podcast that goes everywhere, um, <laughs> and I, I shouldn't say things. But um, a ginormous bathtub with jets is sexier to me. I could see that. I could see but that. But I like bathtubs. I'm a bathtub. I just person. don't want to try to be standing. Trying well, to be intimate in a shower. And I'm Standing. five foot tall. Things, yeah. it's just, it doesn't work. Mom, <laughs> you can listen again. Um, so after the strange triple shower business, 
Rose was brushing her hair, much like Mike uh, Michael Myers' sister. <laughs> yeah. When John snuck up behind her with a cord and drew it tight around her neck. Not funny. Then dragged her into the shower and slit her throat. What? Oh my God. Exactly. Afterward, Billy Brown said he saw John chop up her body with a hatchet and burn the pieces in a basement fireplace. Rather than call the cops, Brown decided to help dispose of the remains of a girl he'd been close friends with since they were eight years old. And the girly just boinks. Seriously, that's how you repay her service? I'm going to call this a bad decision. Yes. Uh, There were multiple choices out there, and he chose wrong. Yes. If you see your friend cut up the girl y'all just had sex with, you leave and you go to the police station. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't do. care how high you are. The cops don't, don't care, care how high you are. No, they don't. They want to solve no, a murder. From there, Brown and John, because I'm not saying his full name because it's ridiculous, <laughs> stuffed the rest of Rose's body into trash bags and drove to a woodland property owned by Brown's family. So killed her at John's grandparents. Now they're going to Billy's. and Because why not? Let's just spread the culpability around as much yeah. as possible. They built a fire pl- a fire pit, then spent the next 10 hours cremating her body parts. Oh, I hate these people. Brown would later testify that John also pulled a hunk of flesh from the flames and put it on a piece of bread with some mustard and ate it just for the Fuck. experience. Fuck you, John. I, no, I thank hope, you. I hope terrible things happen to this person. Oh, yes. From there, they packed Rose's ashes into a bag and spread them from their car windows as they drove home. Fuck these two. Mm -hmm. For the next three years, Rosie's family and other investigators worked tirelessly for answers. Brown and Ortiz, Ortiz Kehoe, even though they were the last ones to see her, said they had no idea where she might be. After After Rose's family had reported her missing... Searchers scoured fields and highways for years. Divers looked into ponds. Gravel pits got dug up. They looked houses up, down, and sideways. Tips came in. Many of them were bullshit. But a pattern emerged where Brown and uh, Ortiz Kehoe seemed to be the names that would stick out. Mm -hmm. What didn't stick out, though, was any solid evidence. That's what happens when you, you know cut people up and burn them yeah the hunt went on for years but in late 1995 michigan police detect michigan state police detective donald brooks took over the case he added up the claims about the two knuckleheads and used them to reconstruct rose's final hours he was on to something as detective brooks drew closer to the truth particular particularly after interviewing a bus driver who had picked the two up at a station the rumored perpetrators felt the heat. Billy Brown decided to turn. Brown turned himself in on April 14th and immediately labeled John as the killer. While Brown cut a plea deal in exchange for his testimony, John ran to Mexico. Of course. Investigators stormed his grandparents' house for evidence. They turned up a single drop of her blood in the bathroom where she died. Wow. Oh, and how was long in, was this? Um, three years. Oh, wow. God, yeah. They, um, it was enough at last to draw up charges. While police searched for him, uh, a literal explosive offshoot to the saga emerged. Robert Michael Wood, a friend of the accused killer, stockpiled combustible materials in order to blow up Billy Brown's home. Oh, wow. (laughs) There's friends, and then there's friends who will blow up a witness's house for you. Don't ever ask me to do that, ladies. No. I mean, you know I will, but please don't ask me to. No. Authorities seized the bomb-making materials from his residence and charged him with an array of violations, stating that his intention was to get rid of witnesses or intimidate them. There was going to be a firebombing at the minimum. I told you, Michigan's fucking crazy. In August of 1996, investigators put a tail on Tim Kehoe, uh, John's brother. They followed him all the way to 
Mexico, where they witnessed him reunite with his sibling. Mm. Working with local cops, they finally arrested him. In exchange for testifying against John, Billy Brown got a year in jail for being accessory to after murder, which I think he needs more. Absolutely. I agree. Rose Markey, Rose's mother, eventually forgave Billy Brown, whom she'd known since he was a child, and even visited her daughter's grave with him. So, you know, if if the family got something out of it and her mother is okay with it, then you know what? I have no choice but to be okay with it. True. John also took the stand at his own trial, swearing repeatedly that he did not kill Rose. Now, 45 years old and serving life without the possibility of parole, parole, he still claims he's innocent. In fact, he maintains an active social media to that effect. No, no. Including a podcast called Creating a Cannibal. How the fuck can he do a podcast from prison? That makes me want to burn everything down. My guess is that he probably, like, um, because podcasts that I've seen that feature, like, interviews with people incarcerated is they talk on the phone and record Mm -hmm. it. So that is, that's my guess. Wow. That is creating a cannibal. Can you, the audacity, the audacity. What a twat. So, but he is in prison without the possibility of parole. So fuck him. What was his name again? John. John Ortiz Kehoe. I want to see a picture of this douche. Canoe. Oh, yeah. oh! <laughs> when you pull up their pictures, it is so nineties, and they're douchey nineties, and it is oh, Vomit. it is trailer park. It is straight up trailer park. <laughs> Bleh. Yes, <laughs> but Rose was a beautiful, beautiful girl. I'm sure she was. And And she is. She didn't deserve this. No, she did not. She is laid to rest at the St. Joseph Catholic Cemetery in Lansing. She has a very lovely stone. So, yeah. It's quite lovely. And there are still people who like send her, you know, have memorials on her find a grave page. Yeah. Things like that. So, it's very sweet. Oh, bless her heart. She deserved more than that. Absolutely. Yeah. She ne- she deserves to be here today. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Sad, 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 but very <sighs> much a Hannah. Yes. <laughs> very Hannah. And go find the, let me see, I can find the, um, the name of the episode of Forensic Files. That featured her case. Hang on. I'm sure it's I've not like that. I haven't seen every single one. I know. I just, okay. Some it's of called um, Out of the Ashes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, definitely check that one out. Yeah, yes. for sure. All right, Louie. All right. What you got? So we're going to start with a legend. Ooh. Yay. So legend has it that sometime in the 1800s, there was a house in the woods, not far from where Anderson Cemetery in Marcellus, Michigan stands. The house was owned by a wealthy couple, the Morrises, and they lived with their two children and their maid. They raised some of the finest horses in the county. Then one evening, a mysterious... You would find the horse story. <laughs> I know. I was just thinking that. It's just random, yeah. One evening, a mysterious man came upon their home and for some unknown reason, murdered the entire family and the maid and took off into the night on one of their horses, never Jesus. to be seen again. The family was laid to rest in the Anderson Cemetery, and every year on the anniversary of the murders, the family's headstone is said to glow. i love it i love this okay and now now to the true story that inspired the spooky legend (laughs) which is is very spooky in itself so yeah it's just about 95 percent of what i just told you is not right (laughs) oh okay darn it yeah but but it's there's a lot that's spookier so charles henry morris was born on may 9th 1847 he was the youngest son of Dolphin Morris. 
Dolphin. Dolphin, yes. Uh, who is recognized as a founding father of Van Buren County in Michigan. Ooh. Dolphin and his wife, Nancy, were the first white folks to settle in the area. They moved there from Ohio to homestead a piece of land in 1829. They built a log cabin that was like the the town hall, if there even was such a thing. Yeah. There was nobody there, but they <laughs> hosted the first school lessons and church services and uh, Dolphin was very successful at whatever he was doing on that parcel of land, <laughs> and he was eventually able to purchase an additional 1,100 acres, buy stock in one of the first local banks in the area, mm. and then build a house on that 1,100 acres where Charles and his wife, Esther, would eventually live. And so, yeah, I can't tell you much about Charles or Esther. They got married on Christmas Eve in 1869, and they moved into that house on that 1,100 acres uh, the following year after his father, good old Dolphin, passed away. Seems like the next nine years were uneventful. Uh, Esther gave birth to a son, Frank, who died as an infant in 1878. Um, They, I don't know what uh, Charles did. He ha- They had money. They were well-to-do. They had a live-in maid named Jenny Bull. And J- Esther was pregnant with their second child when the events of September 28th, 1879 changed everything. And it just hit me that this is on my son's birthday. How no, no. September 28th. Yes. Soybean Jeez. was born, but not for like 200 years. Yeah. <laughs> something. A hundred and I don't know. I'm not, I'm bad at math. (laughs) Okay. So Charles and Esther went to bed around eight 30 that evening. Jenny bull, the the maid had retired about 30 minutes before that about an hour later, there was what is, and again, all this is speculation, what they think happened. So they can't guarantee because well, everybody's dead. About an hour later, there was a knock at the door. Charles got up out of bed and went and answered it. He didn't put clothes on. He didn't grab his gun because he kept one in the nightstand. Uh, And he was probably pretty shocked when he opened the door to a masked gunman who shot him twice. Jeez. The first bullet hit him in the chest and exited out his back, Mm. hitting the siding on the house. And as he was falling, he was shot again in the neck, which that bullet wound up lodged in his back. Um, And it was later determined that death was instantaneous. Either one of those bullets would have killed him. Yeah. Um, Hearing the gunshots, Esther grabbed a pistol from the nightstand. And it's believed that she went out to aid her husband, but came face to face with the gunman. For some reason, they don't know how it happened, but she dropped the pistol and ran. The man continued shooting at her through, as he was chasing her to her Mm -hmm. bedroom, uh, hit her arm as she was going through the door into her bedroom. And it, it, that bullet bounced off a dresser and she was attempting to hide in her closet where she was, uh, found by the gunman and shot twice through the chest. Jeez. Christ. This is where it gets even stranger. So the killer took nothing from the house. There was, I believe, $130 in cash and very nice jewelry all in plain sight. Hmm. Oh, seems so like who his hated own... this family? Right. It seems like his only mission was to murder these two people and and leave. The only thing he took, he left the house, proceeded to the barn where he selected one of the best horses and rode off into the night. Asshole. But none of the saddles were taken. Oh, oh, so he barebacked so that shit. He either barebacked it or brought the saddle himself. I'm, th- yeah. I'm guessing because the horse did turn up eventually that the horse, he did have a saddle because hmm. I don't understand why they wouldn't assume that he didn't take a saddle. He just rode bareback. Yeah. Um, but this is kind of the thing uh, when you read about it is he must have brought the saddle with him because he didn't steal something. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he was seen by the Morris's neighbor, a man named Charles Rosewarn, between 9.30 and 10 p.m. that night. But all the neighbor could remember is the gunman, quote, wore a funny hat, end quote. 
<laughs> wow, that's a okay great lead to go on. I yeah, mean, and his his face was covered by something. Of course, it was. Um, well, yeah, the exhausted horse turned up a few days later in South Bend, Indiana, with quote strange fresh branding on its left rear flank. Oh, so that's what's got me thinking that maybe the guy there was a saddle on the horse and that's why yeah. they assume he brought his saddle because my first instinct would be like, okay, he, he took off on the horse bareback, but mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Anyway, the bodies were discovered the morning after the murder by Jenny bull who claimed she heard nothing, even though her window was open and her room was right upstairs Ugh. above where these shootings were happening. So how did she Jesus. not hear anything? Yeah, my po- and apparently like, she said she was a light sleeper, but and two apparently you know, not. It's like back in the day, you didn't have noise from the interstate. You didn't have the air right. conditioning rolling it was or the quiet on or whatever. It, yeah, Very no TV. Convenient. I mean, yeah. cicadas up here are loud, but they're not that loud. Yeah. Well, the Pinkertons were brought in. Hell yeah! Or yeah, volunteered to come in. And after a few weeks, they sent word that they could capture that murderer for $1,000, <laughs> which is the equivalent Damn. of about $30,000 today. Jesus. The surviving family members were like, yeah, that's really high. Pro- that's a high price. Yeah. Uh, P- the Pinkertons were notorious for just beating confessions out of people, apparently. And so they're like, <laughs> imagine that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're going to pass on that. But thanks. And apparently, like, the local police were like, oh, yeah, we're going to catch this guy. It's a sure thing. You know, Yeah, this is not going to stand. And so apparently there were rumors circulating that Riley Huntley, who was the Morris's former handyman, may have had something to do with it. He had been fired earlier that year because apparently he couldn't stay sober on the job. And he was known to reside in South Bend, Indiana, which, as I just mentioned, is where that uh, horse was found. Um, And there was also rumors that uh, Jenny Bull was a little sweet on him. Oh. And so as Hmm. he was starting to feel this pressure, he made a shocking revelation. According to Riley, Charles Morris was in a dispute with a local loan officer named Floyd Smith over some money that was owed by Charles, which makes no fucking sense because Charles had money. Why would he right borrow money on december 17th 1879 the local constable arrested floyd but before they could take him to the jail they were ambushed by a group of masked individuals who took floyd into the woods where they strung him up and gave him quote all the rope he could stand and live and demanded he confess damn god apparently there was a doctor there and that he was the one who was deciding okay, that's too much, that's too much. And he just kept, they kept bringing him back and make it, and he said, no, I didn't do it. Um, somehow, Floyd managed to escape this torture. Uh, and when he was released, he fled Michigan with his wife. But sadly, shortly after, his wife did pass away, probably from the trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Floyd never recovered completely and suffered neck pain the remainder of his God, life. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, I would say so. And even on his deathbed, he proclaimed his innocence. So he never once changed his story. He had nothing to do hmm. with this. He was just a scapegoat for Riley Huntley. Oh. At least in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what happened to Jenny Bull or Riley Huntley. For the, there's, there's no records of them after this event. Yeah. Uh, they fell off the face of the earth, Damn. which you could do back then. Yes, you could. Uh, the home, which was believed to be the oldest building in the area, was vacant for 20 years before it was burned to the ground by vandals in November of 1962. Wow. Damn. So I don't know if other people lived in it. Some Something said that nobody ever lived in the house again. But then this one article said, you know, it had been vacant for 20 years uh, but it did burn in 62. And the only reminder left is the shared headstone of Charles and Esther, which sits under a large tree in the middle of the historic Anderson Cemetery. The headstone, which has become worn with time, reads in memory of its Chaz, which I'm thinking is just a shortened form of Charles. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, hold on. I lost my spot. In memory of Chaz H. and Esther A. Morris, murdered in their home on the night of September 28, 1879. And back to the little haunting I mentioned at the beginning. While that initial story is is pretty incorrect about the details of the murder, uh, the haunting of the Anderson Cemetery does have some merit. Random visitors to paranormal investigators claim that they have seen the spirits of a man and a woman standing next to the grave. And some say that you can see that headstone glow especially bright on the night of September 28th. Oh. So, and that is the unsolved murder and the haunting of Charles and Esther Morris. And I read a book that I thought was based like it and part of it was based in truth, but I think most of it was fiction. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, fuck <laughs> reading this book, but the book speculates that it was the devil or at least oh, the people Jesus. in the books. Lord. The, dev- the devil came to town and yeah, murdered, sure. yeah. murdered these people. But yeah, no, it was probably yeah. Jenny Bull and Riley Huntley. And I, I don't so know, like, well, and I don't know what, like, what's the purpose? You didn't get yeah. anything out of it. So it just, that really doesn't make any sense. Why you wouldn't steal the money at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, that's, that's Jeez. a crazy story. Decatur, Michigan. Yeah. So. Well, both of y'all have banana stories. My story <laughs> is bananas. Um, This is one of those stories. I'm going to start by this out by saying, I wish I'd had more time to do more deep digging. Mm-hmm. I would love to have like a book written about this, like a full, very well researched book. And maybe there is, and I just don't know. Um, I didn't see one that was not like some kind of self-published and no offense to self-publish, but no, that's you know. what mine was. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. yeah, I just, you know, I, w- I was hoping for something a little more historic. I don't know either way. Um, but a lot of details in this story, um, are very convoluted and they shouldn't be because it's not I mean it is old but it's not that old but either way I was very frustrated in finding a lack of details and had this been any other time I probably would have dropped the story and picked something with more hard facts but we're we're gonna enjoy this very vague story <laughs> and then I'm gonna Fast forward and tell you some more recent history. And anyway, I'm going to shut up and just tell a story. How about that? <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. This story has it all. An axe murder, a cult, love potions, wax dolls, ghosts, and, quote, a single perverted maniac. I love it. Get it, Stefan. <laughs> yeah. This is the story of the St. Alban, Alban occult murders. So Ooh. picture it. Detroit, Michigan, 19. 19- 1929 sorry a bug like flew by me and i was like what is happening um so yeah picture it detroit michigan 1929 in a home located at the near the intersection of st alban uh avenue and mac uh an area that today looks very industrial but at the time must have been pretty residential lived the evangelist family there was benny evangelist born benjamino evangelista in italy Okay. Nice. I know. I keep wanting to talk about like the I House of Evangelista. I feel like that's like fake, but it's not. We can get to that. Okay. I don't think it's fake either. I mean, I don't think it's fake, but I, there's a theory. Either way, I'm going to shut up. <laughs> okay. Benny Evangelist was 43 and his wife, his uh, Santina, was about 37. Uh, she was also an Italian immigrant. And then they had four kids, Angelina, who was seven. Um, uh, uh, some of these kids' names were different depending on what source you used. I tried to be as accurate as possible, but y'all, I don't know. A a baby that either went by Margaret or Matilda, she was five. Uh, a three-year-old girl named Jenny, and then a baby named Mario, who was, or Malio, either one, um, aged 18 months. Now, there, the couple did have a fifth child who did go by Malio. Um, but they died in 1924 at maybe a year old because again, back then science sucked. So yeah, be thankful for vaccines folks. Um, on the evening of July 3rd, someone murdered this entire family with an ax. Jesus. Tina and the kids were found murdered in their beds and Benny was found sitting at his desk decapitated. 
Oh. oh, so who killed this family? Who was this family? WTF, mate. It was so, just one axe. All the millennials heard the WTF, mate. Uh, went, oh. I, know. <laughs> I know. Yes, we did. So let's go back and, and learn who these people are. So Benny was born in Italy in 1886. He moved to America, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, specifically in 1904. And he joined his brother, Antonio. And Benny was a carpenter. Sure sounds like Jesus. Anyways. Um, Italian really. Jesus. Not really. I don't know why I, went, I made. Anytime I hear that someone's a carpenter, I'm like, Jesus? Because <laughs> that's like. <laughs> All I know about Jesus. It's not really. Anyway, I need to shut up and tell the story. (laughs) Two years after moving to America, Benny began having mystic visions. He said they were visions from God. And they would come to him every night from midnight to 3 a.m. What? Okay. Uh Okay. We're we're only scratching the surface yeah okay all right so the evangelista family was of course catholic you know yeah and antonio was like "Uh uh-uh my dude no this does not align with our catholicism so he he basically thumped his brother away and said you go to york pennsylvania and you work up there and benny's like okay cool so he's gonna be bringing that shit in my house yeah basically Uh, While he's there, he becomes friends with a man named Aurelius Angelino, who is also Italian. Uh, I can't imagine. (laughs) I know. And they became interested in the occult, as you do. Um, Yeah. Now, eventually their friendship went south, and I'm going to, we'll get to that later. But eventually, long story short, Benny needs a fresh start, so he moves to Detroit. And this is where I'm not sure where he met and married Satina Santina, but they married, I think, around 1921. So he's like, he's been having these visions for a hot minute. So Santina like walked in knowing this was happening. So I'm like, again, you could have made better choices, my boo, but okay. (laughs) Santina has the patience of a saint. I think I read somewhere that she was more into it than he was. And I'm like, Okay, and then y'all... You know, you, you meet two, two weird people and they get together and you're like, you know what? You guys are the perfect weirdo couple. You two make sense. <laughs> I just wish, and I shouldn't say this, this is going to sound terrible, but I'm like, did did you then have to breed? Like, <laughs> Well, yeah. But no, when you're that crazy, you that's all you're doing. You that is all you're doing. But there's also some speculation with that later, and I will get to that later. <laughs> there's so much unknown in this story, and I don't like unknowns. I like facts. So this drives me crazy. But either way, um, so the family is living in Detroit. They're living on St. Alban. Benny is working in carpentry, but he's also doing some real estate. He also owned some property. So he was a landlord too. And he was still having these visions. So he was basically diving deep into this religious experience. And he basically forms his own religion. Oh, Um, so Benny's visions inspired him to write a book. It was a four-volume book, because of course it was, called The Oldest History of the World, Discovered by Occult Science in Detroit, Michigan. <laughs> this is right. what he, um, he considered his book his Bible. And in the book, he said he was a mystical healer, a divine prophet, and a spiritual leader. It looks like only the first volume was actually published, probably because publishers were like, what, my dude? But, (laughs) you know, who am I to say? Anyway, so he called his little church, religion, cult, whatever you want to call it, the Union Federation of America, which sure sounds religious, doesn't it? That is like pre-Star Trek. (laughs) I know. I'm like... Uh, ufa okay my dude um but yeah so he was doing his usual carpenter real estate landlord jobs during the day but you know midnight to 3 a.m he's talking to god and he's you never know what people are 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 doing in their off time do you and you never know what you will find in their house oh jesus because of course benny begins having spiritual meetings in his basement where he had a sanctuary oh Now, let me describe this sanctuary to you, and this is a direct quote from the Detroit Free Press. The prophet had set up one of the weirdest altars ever uncovered in Detroit. Eight or ten wax figures, each hideous and grotesque in the extreme, and each presumably 
representing one of the celestial planets was were suspended from the altar in a circle by wires from the ceiling. Among them was a huge eye electrically lighted from the inside, which evangelist referred to in his Bible as the sun. The walls and ceiling of this religious sanctum were lined with light green cloth, which bulged out in places of the walls, bulged out in places like the walls of a padded cell. In a window of the basement, which was on a line with and visible from St. Alban Avenue, a large card bore the words, Great Celestial Planet Exhibition. Not going to lie, it sounds pretty fucking metal. (laughs) Oh, just wait. The metal continues. Also in the basement were crosses, a painting of the Last Supper, two swords, a wig, and a fake beard. Oh, nice. Also inside of the house were photos of that. They they lost that one baby, Malio. Yeah. Um, Pictures of him in his coffin. Oh, which let's be real. I'm so tired of everything I have heard and read. Have like, oh my God, why did they have that? Um, We are coming off out of the Victorian times, my dudes. That was the norm. Right. And they I, just weren't this, as squeamish about death as they we are. Weren't. And and there's now I don't know of a lot of pictures from the 20s that are postmortem, honestly. Most of that's more Victorian era. But I know people who still today take pictures of people in their coffins. I, I not took my a jam. Picture of my brother when he was laid out. You can't really see I very know. much because I was like trying to be tasteful. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was important to people my mom that we have that. So people do it and yeah. it's a part of their grieving process. So I don't find this weird, but everyone who is reported on it now has been like, why was it there? And, well, like, and imagine, I get it. like, think about it now of like, you have the ultrasound picture. You have every picture of your baby from the yes. time they pop out the hoo-ha all the way, you know, and, but back then. You didn't you have didn't. pictures of anybody. And so if your kid dies, like that's probably the only time you're going to get a picture of your kid. And the baby was anywhere from a few months to maybe a year old. So right. they didn't have mm-hmm. a chance to have a portrait of this baby. Exactly. Made and it's not like they could take so, snapshots of the poor things. So. They're not shoving a phone in its face the way we right. do all the time now. So, yeah, I don't find this whole thing weird. I mean, I do find the whole thing weird. I'm saying I don't find that the part's baby not weird. photo weird. <laughs> the anyway. wig and the swords we're not on board with, but the baby photo we're cool with. <laughs> hey, I'm cool with the wig and the swords. I wouldn't <laughs> mind having a sword. I'm a little freaked out by the wax dolls. That like yeah, that I'm that I'm gonna raise cool. and yeah, oh yeah, the, the like neon eyeball and right. yeah, electrically lit up. Like okay, cool, Benny. With the you're... solar system, fuck yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> do it, yeah. Um, so anyway, so Benny charged ten dollars for healings or readings. Damn, ten dollars in 1929 is the equivalent of 177 dollars in today's money. Good Benny Lord. knew his so worth. To me, yeah, to me, I I think that's a lot of money. Of course, that I is. know I'm I wouldn't very pay poor. that now. I wouldn't pay that now. I mean, mm-hmm. I've like if I'm gonna do a tarot reading for like thirty minutes, I'll pay thirty dollars. But exactly, you know, that's a thirty minute tarot reading, and and you of course you're gonna tip your tarot reader and that right. kind of thing. Sure, but I'm not paying one hundred and seventy seven dollars for I don't I don't know how long his healings or readings were, but and there better be some guarantee of some shit at the end of well, this. Well, Uh-oh. well, oh shit. So he promised <laughs> to cure the sick and all that. He created potions. It kind of sounds like he was doing a little bit of like Christianity with um, a little magic and a little like herbal medicine, maybe some hoodoo work kind of thing. It was his own thing. He just sort of mixed. I think it sounds like to me he mixed a lot of a lot of stuff together and just called it his own. I couldn't find that he like made people necessarily join this cult or that he made them do something he didn't want to do like nexium like he didn't bring anybody and force them into sex acts like it wasn't like that i think he just was offering this weirdo religion and if you want to be a part of it you paid 10 bucks so i'm I'm hesitant to call it a cult even though a lot of people call it a cult but it was just his own weirdo religion thing which i'm like as long as you're not hurting anybody i don't care what you do good for you dude yeah so anyway we're gonna get to the murders now i've 
this to me, this story right here is so, oh, again, speculatory. And I've heard some of, um, I don't, I don't know if this is true or not. Supposedly there was a nearby house that was supposed to be demolished. Benny had worked out a deal to get the salvageable wood from the house after it was demolished. So he calls the night watchman who's there to, I guess, watch the house, make sure no one gets in because it's about to be demolished and says, Hey, I've got some people coming to pick up this wood tomorrow and then they're going to deliver it to me and I'm going to pay them just letting you know what's going on. And the guy's like, cool, I don't care. Well, this never happened for one, because Benny died that night, but for two, like no delivery people or no construction people ever showed up to get the wood or to deliver the wood or anything so it's like wtf dude so uh, that was weird but supposedly that's the thing that happened now the next morning um after the murders the uh, bodies were found by vincent elias elias whatever a real estate agent um who worked in town he was uh working with benny he's done business with him before he thought it was weird that like they were supposed to meet up for a meeting or something he wasn't there he goes over he's like why is this house with four babies so quiet and he finds breaks in finds the family so uh santina and the baby were found dead in the bed together um the three other kids were in another room uh, all three of them were in one room together. Um, it does appear that they kind of tried to fight back and defend themselves. It was super, super violent. And I don't, you know, there was like talk in the papers of like body parts being severed and stuff like that. I don't want to go into details. These are kids and a mother. So I'm right. not going into details. Yeah. Um, but Benny was found in his office. Um as I said, he received these visions from midnight to 3 a.m. So I guess he was in there receiving his visions. Um, his head was found on the floor beside him and his hands were posed as if in prayer and Ooh. his body was kind of slumped forward. So I don't know. Did they pose him? Like, I, yeah. you can't tell me they just knocked his head off with one clean swoop like i don't believe that happens with an axe like I think right i have to be one hell of an axe i know so i just think it's i guess they posed him i don't know and then in some stories i read it again so many details on this story are inconsistent some stories i read said that the photos of their deceased baby were found downstairs in the basement some people said they were scattered around his body mm. which everyone's like oh my god that's so weird and i'm like I, again, I don't find it weird that those pictures were in the house. If right. They were laid but if out they're scattered his body, around it, that's, that's weird. weird. I could see them being in the, like, if he's doing his religious services in his basement, then yeah, he's going to have the picture of his kid there. And I wonder, did he go off the deep end after that baby died? Yeah. Because I could see that happening. You know, absolutely. Your baby dies, mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not going to be in your right mind. Um, But yeah, nothing of value was missing from the home and the family was pretty well off there was a couple of bloody shoe prints and a bloody fingerprint uh the coroner uh, james burgess uh told the paper the next morning this is the most unusual case a single perverted maniac must have killed them although it seems impossible that some of their screams would not be heard and it does seem like some of them did wake up again defensive wounds but right even then um, the family's funeral was held three days later, and of course, more than 3,000 people showed up for that because they're looky-loos. A $2,500 reward was offered, so of course, a lot of people came forward with tips. Most of them were BS. The cops interviewed so many people. Like, every day in the paper, there was, like, a new story of, oh, they interviewed somebody, and they they had nothing to tell. And I'm like, so why are you even reporting it? But whatever. <laughs> um, the cops interviewed Benny's doctor, and he, the doctor said he's insane. Like, that was his exact quote, was he is insane. Okay. Uh, he's a religious fanatic, which I'm like, yeah. don't try to help him. Don't try to <laughs> get, which I know back then, there probably wasn't yeah. help for that, but still. Uh, his lawyer said there had been a couple of like minor lawsuits related to some of his real estate, but nothing that would have resulted in what happened to this family. Like, I can't imagine you axed the whole family over real estate. The whole family. <laughs> like, it's gnarly. Um, but no one was ever arrested for this crime. It remains unsolved nearly 100 Damn. years later. So here are a few theories. 
Um, some people think that maybe there was someone who was in the cult or was a customer of Benny's that was upset that his healing or prayer or reading didn't do the trick. Right. And they're upset, which I'm like, cool, but would you seriously take out the whole family for that? Why wouldn't right. you just take Benny out? Mm-hmm. Uh, Detroit has maybe had, I don't know, a lot of organized crime. Yes. And it was suspected that the Italian criminal group, the Black Hand, had the family killed. Um, But this is not a typical mob hit. The mob doesn't take out whole families with an axe, you know? No, they shoot the house. Exactly. Yeah, they shoot you and you're dead. And they don't usually go after kids. Right. Especially Um, babies. Jesus. I know. And some people said that it was someone claiming to be from the Black Hand and they were blackmailing Benny. But I'm like, what? Four. Like I never figured that out. Any that that led to nowhere. But the this one theory, which is to me off the wall, I think it's deeply stupid. It involves Benny's friend from York, Aurelius Angelino. Okay. So let's go back to this piece of work. Oh dear. So back when they were living in York, Aurelius went bonkers. And attacked his family with a knife or an axe and killed two of his kids before he was stopped. Oh, my God. And he was sent to a mental institution. And a couple of years later, he escaped, never to be seen or heard from again. Uh Uh-oh. So some people say that Aurelius found Benny and killed him and his family. I don't know why he would do that. Right. Now, and how was he getting from Pennsylvania all the way over to, to Michigan? Yeah. And supposedly, and again, I, I just didn't have time to do a lot of digging on this. Supposedly, there was a bloody fingerprint at the Angelino crime scene that matched Benny's. So huh. why, okay, why would Benny kill this guy's two kids? That makes no sense to me. And if he did it, why was he never arrested? Right. So some people think this was in retaliation for Benny having killed Aurelius's two kids. I just, I, I don't buy that. I just, that seems stupid. And then in some of some stories too, there was one newspaper story where a doctor said he thought all of the kids were Santinas from another marriage. Now I only saw that in like one place and I'm like, okay, so is it also like, how good that? was fingerprint analysis in the fucking Thank 20s? You. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. I don't really buy a lot of that. Um, so yeah, I have a lot of questions with that. And and normally with an unsolved crime, I can say, oh, this is what I think happened. Like, I think it's this. I don't know. I really do not know. Like, I know, you know, if you've ever read like the man from the train, there were a ton of axe yeah, murders. Right. Yes. In the I country. love that book. It's I so good. Late 1800s into the early 1900s. I don't think this was a part of that. It doesn't fit into that. Um, you know, it doesn't have the meat laying <gasps> we out. We need to do axe murders. Yes, we do. I love a good <laughs> axe murder. I don't know why, but I love, <laughs> I them. love them. Um, so I don't know what happened. So the evangelist family home was demolished in the 1940s. And as of 2020, it's just an empty lot from what I could tell on Google Earth. But shockingly, not at all, people in the area say it's haunted. This well, yeah, lot. they say you can see a headless man walking around and oh, Lord. screams, which yeah. I'm, please let me see a headless man walking around. I would I'll pay good money for that. Right <laughs> now, before I get to where the family is buried, um, I'm going to talk about how St. Alban is just a nightmare street and why I don't think anyone should ever go out there because <laughs> this was not the only massacre to happen on the street. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, 61 years after the oh. evangelist massacre where six people were killed, another massacre where six people were killed took place on that street. It was April 1990, and six men were murdered in a house on St. Alban. Those men were Stephen Owens, 32, Carl D. Williams, 21, Bobby Lee Frazier, 16, Robert Lee Hill, 15, Rodney Lewis, 22, and LaVon Robinson, 18. Oh, God. Babies. Christ. Babies. Four people were were arrested for these murders, Tamara 
Marshall, 18, Jamal Biggs, 19, Mark Kaysen, 19, and Mark Bell, 20. Jesus. Tamara, Tamara, I hope I'm saying that right, was like the ringleader. Oh. Tamara was dating Stephen Owens, but they had broken up. So some people said this was like a a spurned lover type of thing. But, and I hate this phrase, and you see it in every news story from 1990, the house was a known, quote unquote, crack house. Mm -hmm. And some people said that Tamara had Stephen and everyone in the house killed because they were her competition in the drug world because she was pushing drugs steven was pushing drugs she he was taking all her customers so she or it could be people on crack are really erratic and do crazy yes, shit are. yes that <laughs> is. now i've also read that it was just a robbery that they right went in, she went in there with her team of guys and they went in right. there and, and yeah. killed them. um i will say one of those guys mark Kaysen, he was just the getaway driver he was he didn't from right. what i've seen he didn't kill anyone, didn't murder anybody know. Uh, Tamara, I think all those folks, I didn't dig too deep into these because honestly, I didn't have time. They, um, they were all like arrested, went to court, blah, blah, blah. I know Tamara got life without parole. Um, and then tragedy struck St. Alban Avenue again in 2015. This story is really gnarly. I'm just going to say that from the get go. I am leaving out every horrific detail this is gnarly i have infected all of you (laughs) yeah um so in 2015 a woman michelle blair i'm not sure if it's michelle or michelle it's like (gasps) michelle i know this story okay of course you do it's horrific she was being evicted from her apartment because she was behind on rent she and her family were not home at the time so the authorities go in they start removing furniture there's a freezer that's very heavy they open it up and inside are bodies of two of her children, Stephen Barry, nine, and Stoney and Blair, 13. Oh. When she was arrested, Michelle, who had two other kids, in addition to the two murdered kids, and I don't know how much I believe this. I truly think this lady has some serious mental health issues. Um, she said she discovered that the two murdered kids were sexually abusing the two other kids. So she tortured and killed Stephen first and then tortured and killed Stoney nine months later. Right. Uh, Stephen had been in the freezer since 2012 and Stoney had been in there since 2013. Um, and uh-huh. now Michelle, she did plead guilty to murder. She is uh, serving life sentence without the possibility of parole. It is really that. You and don't the want to know sad the details. part, yeah, it was bad. The, the sad part is, is it's likely like nothing of the sort was going on, yes. and she was just deeply, deeply mentally ill. I think mm-hmm. she was deeply mentally ill, and I mean, she was saying later she didn't have any remorse, and I'm like, yeah, she I, was I just she was off her nut. Yeah, I think so. And anyway, so mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about where everyone is buried now. So the entire Evangelista family from my first story from 1929, including baby Mario, who died in 1924, they are all buried at Mount Olivet Cemetery in Detroit. That cemetery has been there since 1888. It's the largest cemetery in Detroit with more than 300 acres. Holy cow, that's massive. Mm-hmm. A lot of their notable barriers are burials are, quote, organized crime figures that's how find a grave has them listed which cracks me up (laughs) there's something about cemeteries like mount olivet yeah they always seem to have the gangsters there yeah uh lots of organized crime people lots of politicians a couple of baseball players and then i thought this was cool actor tom tyler who starred as captain marvel in the 1941 movie the adventures of captain marvel that was elvis presley's favorite comic book hero fun facts to know and tell absolutely And then also buried there is pianist Joe Hunter, a three-time Grammy winner with the Funk Brothers, Motown's first in-house session band. He played on like a zillion hits out of Motown. Um, So he seems like a really cool dude. Um, But the Evangelista family, I don't think they have markers. I didn't see any listed on Find a Grave. It looks like just a plot of land. Now, Michelle Blair's kids, Stoney, Ann, and Stephen are buried side by side in Mount Hope Memorial Gardens in Livonia, Michigan? Livonia. Livonia. Okay. Um, it's a pretty marker. Those poor babies. Yeah. Now, it was difficult to find the people that were killed in the 1990 massacre. I only found two of them that I could, like, confirm 
were them. Rodney Lewis is buried at Sacred Heart of St. Mary Cemetery in Detroit. And then Carl Williams is buried at Evergreen Cemetery in Detroit. And I tried looking like outside just for the whole state of Michigan and outside of Michigan. But some of those guys have like fairly common names. So it's yeah. hard to find them or they're just not listed. I mean, there's just a lot of cemeteries that still don't have their list like updated. Yeah. So anyway, stay away from St. Alban. That's my story. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I wow. love it. So yeah, lots of, we went gory this week didn't we <laughs> well i have got a palate cleanser what you, you? me of all people what? so one of the weirdest graveyards in michigan is the big boy graveyard <laughs> okay <The> what <laughs> now i am of midwestern extraction originally yes. so i'm familiar with big boy burger Yo, yeah. Are you guys yeah, yeah, familiar yeah. with Big Boy yes. Burger? Yes, I've seen the little Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, Big Boy Burger went bankrupt mm-hmm. uh, in, I believe, the early 2000s. And so all of their fiberglass Big Boys were disposed of in the woods. Oh, my God. <laughs> and some intrepid photojournalists early in the 2000s came across all these Big Boy statues hanging out in the woods no yes just a little bit um outside of marquette michigan and there um it appears that they have since been cleaned up and that the the big boys are no longer roaming the woods oh no but yes there was the big boy graveyard in the woods with long departed big boys I need to see pictures. The of this. photos are amazing. I bet I'm googling this right now because I have to see this. Yes. Big I mean, boy, great. Oh yes. my god! Isn't this that is insane? So unsettling. Could you imagine just like spelunking in the no. woods no. and then no. you're like, <laughs> no, no, it's those a big creepy boy. eyes looking over at you, right? And then you'd be like, fuck, so... I should have got burgers before I came into the woods. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty creepy. I love oh it. Oh, my God. I love it. That's rad. That's really <laughs> rad. But, yeah, I would absolutely, I would lose my mind if I <laughs> went out there and, oh, there's just a couple of ginormous big boys. Right, yeah. which are already kind of unsettling in a their little. natural state. Yeah. But then they're in the woods and you're like, what are they doing in the woods? I mean, why has he got to look at you like that? Like that. Side like, what does he know? He knows something. He about knows you. I want a burger. He knows something. <laughs> I don't know what he knows, but he knows something. That's why exactly. he's got that look on his face. Absolutely. Well, that's terrifying. See, uh-huh. even my palate cleansers are vaguely disturbing. Yes, they are. Thank you for that. Hannah. <laughs> you are so welcome. You have, I, I feel better knowing this. now (laughs) well i think that's it yeah Yeah. um next time we're doing pride so we didn't forget oh yeah we never we always have our gay shit so (laughs) (laughs) i have to pick something absolutely ridiculous yeah we gotta i've gone serious the past couple of gay ones so i need to do something Mm -hmm. bananas we need to we need to find folks yep but i mean there are a lot of fun folks. There are. Um, anyway, so yeah, Luhu, where can they find us online if they want to drop us a note? Yes, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cemetery Row Pod, or you can send us an email to cemeteryrowpod at gmail.com. <laughs> I'll always love how you say that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, so yeah, stay tuned. We'll be back soon. Hey, go leave us a dang review. Dang it. Yes. yes. Some of us are sad. Okay, right. and we would like a nice review to cheer us up. We could use cheering up. That's all I'm saying. It. Some of us are having a rough time over here. Okay, <laughs> we're trying really hard. Anyway, yeah. Did you see the Elvis squirrel on Chrissy's page? I tagged you in it. Uh, that's not my first time to see that squirrel. Sam <laughs> I <bet> it's not. <laughs> um, I, I worked at Graceland for six years. I, I've seen a lot of Elvis things. Okay, a lot of Elvis things. His name's Elmer. Yes, mm-hmm. I love it. Of course, it, it is. Okay. Yes, I'm yeah. I, I'm not really. 
I spent three hours getting a tattoo today. I've, right. I've been a little, uh, what's preoccupied, preoccupied today. Um, so I have not had a chance to be on the social medias. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to get on there after this and, and go comment and, and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> trust me. I'm, I'm familiar with that. <laughs> <With the elder. laughs> because I mean, uh, of course I found that based on a friend of mine that I worked with at Graceland who owned at least a squirrel, not more. Um, so of course I had to tell her about Jimmy Gizmo. Of course. Oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. Yes. All right, y'all be good. Be nice to each other. We'll see Happy you next Pride time. Night. Yep. Yes. Bye. Bye. Bye.